Hey kids, welcome to episode 13 of Piercing the Veil with me, Robin Pierce. And me, Stephen Pierce. Now then, where should we start? Where we kicked off, where we ended last week. Oh, where we ended off last week. Yeah, shall we go classic, like Lost in Space? Or Batman? I don't think I can do the William Dozier voice. That's the same person. Oh, no, 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 really? it wasn't the same wow. person, no. Last week, as you recall, we were talking about censorship. Um, yes. In this instance, um, after some, you know, calamitous shooting or, or incident like that, where the knee-jerk reaction was to blame whatever happened on um, popular media. Um, and as we came to the end of that particular episode, we were fast running out of time because we think that an hour of listening is enough for anybody. Junior here brought up Thor. Yes. And whether Saw was actually a horror film. And I kind of felt that this was something that we needed to explore a little bit. So at the end of the last episode, I promised that we'd pick this up and maybe run it round the block, run it up the flagpole yeah. and see who salutes it this week. So, Steve, take it away. What were you saying? I personally don't think that Saw is a horror film, or, as the terms used for a franchise, is it torture porn? Yeah, torture porn, yeah. yes. Now, are torture porn and horror the same thing? I thought they were. Okay. But with Saw in particular, yeah. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, I'm not entirely sure why. But Saw is in no way a horror film or torture porn at all. Okay, I'm intrigued. You've hooked me okay. in. Um, I'm biting on the hook, Steve. Reel me in and convince me that you're not insane. It's, in a way, it's a vigilante movie or a superhero movie gone wrong. Saw is... A superhero movie. Yeah. Who, okay, okay, now you completely lost me. Okay. Do tell. Jigsaw is classed as a serial killer, isn't he? In the franchise. As the Jigsaw killer. He is the Jigsaw killer, yes. Jigsaw never actually kills anyone. In a roundabout way... He does. He he actually abducts people. Yeah. He keeps them prisoner against their will. Yes. He subjects them to a horrifying ordeal where... Teachable can... moment. <laughs> Teachable moment. <laughs> where they can either accept responsibility for what they have done or they can be horribly mutilated. For them, isn't it? But this is the point. Okay. He is not acting within the confines of the law. See, he's not. But a I wouldn't superhero. say that what he's doing is heroic. He's not a superhero, but I would say it is a vigilante movie because he doesn't actually target anyone that's innocent. They are, however, people who he has deemed to be guilty. Yeah, they don't live to his standards. But they've all done crimes. How, how are these films not torture porn? Because there are some genuinely hard to watch tortures involved here. And the one that springs to mind, I think it might be in 3, Yeah, where... The, the victims have to reach for a key to release themselves from the trap before they die, before they're killed, okay? And the more they wait, uh, there's a spinning buzzsaw between them and yeah. the key. 
and it's coming towards their hand as they reach in and it's going to slice the webbing and up along the hand, this circular buzzsaw. They're doing fabulous work as robotics. And that is, to me, that's one of the hardest ones to watch. But this... And I, I don't know why, but just the thought of it. I, 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 I've watched horror movies yeah. since before I was a teenager. But those I find very hard to watch. The, the torches. Yeah. Not because I'm squeamish or because I think that they've gone too far. Yeah. It's just like, oh, my God, I don't even want to imagine my hand being split into in two lengthways. That's, oh, my God. I, I don't think. See, I always thought that with torture porn, porn yeah. implies... Nudity. No, 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 no. I, I don't think it implies... Yeah, porn, in the popular yeah. um, term, is is nudity, um, sex acts. I think that torture porn is photographs of people being tortured, just like pornography is... But you know, are they being... being There's food porn, where but, people send each other photographs of food. But are they being tortured? Well, of course they're being tortured. I don't think so. I think they are. I think you've been written far-fetched. How are they not being tortured? Well, they've done something wrong. So According to Jigsaw. Yeah. So they're either... Child... Now remember, Jigsaw himself yeah. is embittered because he's suffering from a, a you know, fatal cancer. Yeah which can't be operated on. He is terminal. And he's lost his child. And he's acting really on these people who he sees aren't making the most of their lives or aren't living, you know, correctly. Not necessarily. Go on, then. If you notice as well, everyone he targets... Yes. Whatever the... Trap, death trap, whatever you want to call it is. It's kind of themed towards it's what they did? to what they did. They can get out of it. But they but have to accept the pain and consequences to, yeah. of what they've done. So he's a vigilante. But what he's doing is absolutely reprehensible and nobody's going to give him the... Civic Award for Citizen of the Year, are they? Well, no, but he does dish out some peaceful moments. This leads us then to what exactly is a horror movie? Um, back in the 70s, yeah. I read in the Des Skins magazine, House of Hammer, a, there was a film being released called Last House on the Left. Okay. And it wasn't being released in this country because it was deemed to be too strong, too nasty, too horrific. And I remember seeing the, the poster in, in their news yeah. page and it was a black and white depiction of, of the poster. And it was Last House on the Left. Keep telling yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie. And the It's Only a Movie was repeated uh, into, you know, where it fades. Yeah. Okay. And I thought, Last House on the Left. I was a teenager at the time. What was this? Like a haunted house movie or something. And it was banned, so oh, it must be a really scary haunted house movie. And it wasn't. No. It wasn't. Uh, then, um, I can't remember whether it was before or after, uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And people were outraged by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It wouldn't be released in cinema in this country back in 1970. Or? Yeah. The it was shown one time at a private cinema 
in London. It was never granted at that time a certificate. Okay. okay. Um, it was deemed the nastiest, most vile horror movie ever made. Okay. Okay. And we couldn't see it. The only record I had of it, yeah, until I actually got to see it, um, was a synopsis in again. House of Hammer. Now, when I actually got to see these films, I, first of all, with Last House on the Left, yeah. after the video censorship laws were relaxed a bit, and a guy called James Furman left the British Board of Film Classification, yeah, Last House on the Left and Exorcist and um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre were, were released on home video. Exorcist was always released in the cinema. Yeah. It was deemed too strong okay, and too sense. nasty to be to watch in the privacy of your own home. So all these films became available. Seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, which is a different story and probably yeah. best not yeah. here. And I had seen Exorcist at a midnight screening um, in in a cinema. I had not seen Last House in Black, so when these came available, I I, I jumped at them. Last House on the Left. Now the basic film has it that two girls. Uh, on their way home from, I think, a concert or something like that. And they fall, they, 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 they're picked up and given a, a lift um, by these crowd of, you know, a couple of women, and, yeah. you know, two or three men. And they abduct them, rape them, humiliate them, and eventually murder them. Yeah. Okay. Then their car breaks down and they need to get help, you know, to fix the broken wheel or whatever. And they end up at the house of the parents of one of the girls. And they realize the parents now what happened and the parents take revenge. Yeah. Is that a horror movie? It's it's generally regarded as a horror movie, but is it a horror movie? No, that that's more horrific events. Yes, that have an air of kind of it's horrific, but it's got kind of a this. It's horrifying. Yeah, but to me, it's not a horror film per se. Yeah. Because events like that happen, yeah. Well, I wouldn't say every day, but they are very plausible and probably have happened. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you know, sort of, a it's killer like, has ended up at the, you know, being killed by the mother of his victim or whatever. But it's it's entirely plausible. It's not exactly see, Freddy Krueger here, is it? I don't, you know condone like you know it's like you know jigsaw and his traps and all yeah. the rest of it but that is fantasy yeah last house on the left is more that's got an air of possibility that's more like a kind of yes. cautionary thing like the texas chainsaw massacre um there have been incidents of grave robbing yeah um then these people pick up a crazy hitchhiker, which is why I never pick up hitchhikers. And they end up at the Hewitt house. Yes. And they're a bunch of cannibals, and they like to kill people and eat them. Again, entirely possible. Is it horror? I mean, we have an inborn 
horror. Yeah. There's that word again of being killed and of being eaten. Yeah. Like, okay. Every mammal does, I suppose. Take burnt offerings. Yeah. That is a horror movie. That's a haunted house movie. But for me, a horror movie is when <sighs> something supernatural or fantastic happens. Yeah, it, it's kind of in the the like un. No, because Dad actually put it back into Last House and Left Territory. See, films like Hostel, that's not, to me, a horror film. No. I, I don't want to those things to happen to me, and no. they are entirely possible. Um, but a horror movie, per se, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, yeah. The Wolfman, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. I a think, horror movie. I think there is a sub-category. Yeah. Where place things like Saw fit into, where it is horrific events happen. Yes. But it's not a horror movie. It, so I, I just mentioned, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday 13th. What about Scream? No, su no supernatural events. And the only reason I'm adding Friday 13th at this point, yeah. for the sake of argument, is because from the fifth film, no, the sixth, sixth film onwards, Jason is clearly a zombie. Yes. So that brings it into horror right there. I think as well, it's... You have a movie like Last House on the Left. Yeah. It's disturbing. Yes. It's you know, completely wrong. But for me, a horror movie... Is a movie that you're watching, you're kind, you're enjoying it. You're kind of jumping, or you know, it's kind of yeah. You know, you seen. So, is a horror film then? It doesn't have to be supernatural in no its origins. It just has to be something that well horrifies you. Yeah. Whereas with movies like. Um, Last House on the Left. Yes. Uh, I Spit on Your Grave. Another film yeah. where somebody, a, a girl in a cabin by itself, gets raped. Yeah. And takes revenge on the, the men who did it. Those movies. And, and I would like to say here, yeah. she takes revenge, and rightfully so. Yeah. Keep it in your pants, guys. The lady says no. Yeah. Those... I see those as more kind of. They're not. They're not. They're disturbing. They're disturbing. Whereas you can enjoy a horror movie. You'll watch, say, a movie like Last House on the Left, but you're not going to get that kind of enjoyment, if it makes sense. Because. It's hard to enjoy a film like that. It can put you on the edge of your seat. Yeah. But it's not the kind of film where you're thinking, oh, watched The Last House on the Left last night. Oh, I had a great time. Yeah. But there's, there's one thing in, in that film that kind of resonated as being really weird and strange. Yeah. And it's after the, the girls have been raped and... I think one of them's getting away. Yeah. The music is like upbeat yeah. and downright whimsical. And it seems an odd creative choice to make. It's like, you know, you've been um, raped, you've been humiliated, you've been subjected to, you know, all, all kinds of things. Yeah. And then it's like, la, 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 la. And, yeah. you know, you, you, the kind of music you'd expect to see the Teletubbies bouncing down a hill to. See, I, I don't think that in those movies, it's hard to describe what they are because they're not horror movies. Yeah. Because, you know, you say, oh, yeah, I enjoyed that horror movie. Whereas with that kind, I find it's more 
Kind of like a chill movie. Yeah, yeah. A proper horror film to me means you've got that escape valve yeah. of it can't really happen. Yeah. Um, you you don't often um, come across vampires. No. People turning into werewolves. Um, crazy psychotic killers that come home on Halloween yeah. and can't themselves be killed. Work people made out of corpses from the local graveyard, uh, ancient mummies, uh, or anything like that. Um, but killers, rapists, child molesters—you yeah. do come across those people. And that, that's why I'm saying with Saw, why I don't see it as a horror movie, because the people, usually in a horror movie, you've got the killer. He's these attack. people are taken against their will, though. And yeah. it's what they're subjected to. It's the horrifying That's part. That's the horrifying part. But it's kind of... The people he attacks, although it's completely wrong what he does, he shouldn't do it, and all the rest of it. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, like, just pick up a random person off the street. It's specific people. Whereas with Jason, it's, you know, whoever's in the cabin. It's whoever crosses his yeah. path. Um, it's more psychological, so um, so it is. But the psychology being, it's horrifying. It it really it's really horrifying. Um, saying that Saw is not a horror film is a bit like saying The Exorcist is a religious thriller, which it clearly isn't. I, I, I do think there is definitely a subcategory there. But The Exorcist is closer to being a horror film than The Last House on the Left because yeah. obviously supernatural forces are at work. Yeah. Here's another thing which is going off on a tangent. What was with Freddy Krueger? Because we are introduced to Freddy Krueger in the first Nightmare on Elm Street film, yeah. as the vengeful spirit of a child murderer. Yeah. By about the third film, he had become almost like a pop culture hero. Yeah, because didn't he... You could buy dolls of him. I don't mean the McFarlane sculptures. Yeah. I mean, you could buy plush dolls with little drawstrings that would, you know, cackle and give uh, phrases from the film. You know, just imagine, you know, you, you've got this sort of plush doll, you pull yeah. the drawstring and <laughs> you are all my children now. I mean, put that thing in a box. Yeah. I, I th With the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Yeah. I love the first one. Yeah. And I think from the second one onwards, despite the fact it's got iconic, but iconic lines. Yeah. You, you're not exactly scared of Freddy. No, he he becomes too familiar. Yeah. And he becomes, if anything. A little bit like James Bond, because whenever Sean Connery or Roger Moore made a quip after killing somebody, yeah. you forget they're a government assassin who have just killed somebody. Yeah. It, like, softens the blow and makes it, like, stylized violence. Uh, whereas with Freddy Krueger, he's knifing you with his finger blades on his glove and, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll make a quip and everybody's like, ha, <laughs> good old Freddy. I, I, I don't think that's quite you, you mentioned what should be aimed for. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. And I remember the first time I saw it, I couldn't watch it. Okay. it freaked me out. Yeah. Because I was convinced after he's hit the guy on the head with the meat hammer. Yes. And he grabs the girl and he puts her on the hook. Yeah. I was convinced for years that the hook went through her. Okay. Not that it clipped onto her belt. See, there, 
there's another thing. It's suggestive. I had, many years ago, a friend of mine who borrowed my tape, as it was then, yeah. of Chainsaw Massacre. And he brought it back to me. And, oh, I loved it. That scene when the guy in the in the wheelchair gets it, and he's you know swinging away at the uh, the guy with his chainsaw, and there's blood and guts flying everywhere. Now that was my tape. I've seen it a few times. Yeah, I'd seen you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre itself several times. I knew it was an uncut tape. But you see the flailing of the chainsaw. You see the juddering of the victim. Yeah. Because it's filmed with Leatherface, the murderer, facing the camera. The guy in the wheelchair has his back to the camera. Not one single drop of blood is seen. But he was convinced he'd seen it. Yeah. Because the only blood really seen in Texas Chainsaw Massacre is towards the end yeah. where Leatherface is chasing the girl and he kind of cuts his own leg. Yeah. And the way they did that, it was basically the only special effect in the whole movie was they had a steel plate around Gunnar Hansen's leg. Yeah. And they packed beefsteak right. around it. So he cut into the beefsteak and the steel plating stopped him from cutting into his own leg because it was a real yeah. chainsaw. And that's why it looked that realistic. He was cutting into meat. So often you you find with horror films that people think they've seen things yeah. that they haven't. Because that's one of the problems with the newer horror movies is they show too much. Yeah. It's all too graphic. Yeah. There's no suggestion... It's all made perfectly obvious to the audience what has just happened. And they seem to want to push the envelope and push it and push it and push it until, in the end, you're virtually viewing nothing more creative, really, than a post-mortem. Yeah. I remember in the 70s, this is exactly what the Hammer films were being accused of. You know, the tastelessness of horror. A horror, by definition, is tasteless anyway. Um, oh. You know, it links in with exploitation, but uh, you know, you, you don't really get tasteful horror <laughs> unless you're talking about Hammer movies of the late fifties and early sixties, where their arguments between the characters are so, so civilized, so polite. Yes. So we are never going to actually resolve this, no. one, are we? Because everyone will have a different definition as to what they think horror is. Horror is something that makes me feel uneasy, yeah. I suppose. But maybe that's too broad a definition. Because I can't swim, so Titanic would make me feel yeah. uneasy. Because if that ship sank... Oh, no, wait, it does. <laughs> and the last time I really got freaked out with a horror movie yeah. was It Follows. Oh, that was so good. Because that changed all the rules. It did. That's what I felt when I saw A Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time. Because I didn't know what the rules were. I didn't yeah. know what Freddy could and couldn't do. And you were finding out as the film developed. Whereas that, whereas that freaks me out. Freddy, these days, I've seen it so many times, it's like, oh, there's that scene, there's that scene. Yeah, again, familiarity. Yeah. Okay, here's a quick question for you. In your opinion, what is the single most horrifying image you have seen in a horror movie? And oh. why? Oh, that is a good one. Right, well, you think, mine is this. Okay. Halloween, directed by John Carpenter, 1978. Yeah. We've been to the house where Michael Myers has pushed a few people and... Laurie Strode, paid, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, found the bodies strewn here and there, and she's narrowly escaped being killed by Michael Myers. She's fallen downstairs. She's out of the house. She's been stabbed in the leg. Yeah. She's crossing the road to where she is babysitting, and she's you know, screaming out for help. And in the background, 
Michael Myers is walking slowly behind her, taking his time. He is not in a hurry because she is going nowhere. He is that confident, yeah. that deliberate, that he is going to get her. And just the fact that he's moving that slowly and that assured that he's going to get her, that to me is the most frightening image I've seen in a horror movie. Over to you. Mine is slightly, well, a lot older than that one. Okay. Frankenstein. Original, 1931? Yeah. Boris Karloff? When you see the monsters wrapped in bandages, he's come alive. Yes. And he, you're building up to the big reveal. Yes. And he comes in backwards. Oh, when he, um, Frankenstein and his friend yeah. are in the room and it's like, here he comes now. Yeah. And he shuffles into the room backwards. Yeah. Facing away so from the still camera. Don't know what then he slowly yeah. turns around. And, and just brilliant the dead direction. Eyes. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. They don't make them like that no. anymore. No. They they really do. Now we went to the cinema this week. Yeah. Again. And we saw a movie that basically rocked our little reality. Yes. We went to see the actual return of Quentin Tarantino yeah. to movie genius. After a few years out there in the cultural wasteland of what are you going to do now, Quentin? Yeah. Um... Tell me what you thought of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I The last Tarantino movie we saw in cinema was Inglorious. Yeah. And I thought it was okay. Actually, that's the only Tarantino yeah. film we had seen in the cinema up to this one. I was... I had great expectations going in there for Inglorious, but I left kind of... Eh. It was okay, I guess. I, I wasn't that... I could take it or leave it. Yeah. Whereas within the opening couple minutes of this one, I was blown away. But I think the thing that benefited this one was because you've shown me a lot of shows from that era, the 60s. Okay. Okay. Let's do a quick synopsis first. Yeah. The film concerns um, Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. as Rick Dalton, a star of TV westerns in the 50s and 60s. The star is now fading, and he's reduced to taking uh, bad guy roles on other TV shows because he's been cancelled. And also he does appearances on musical TV shows. Um, you know, like basically doing the twist, yeah. singing behind the green door. His constant companion is Cliff Booth, his And of course, as Rick finds less and less work, yeah. the stunt double, Cliff, is also finding work hard. It's set in 1969, and it's around the time when Golden Age Hollywood yeah. came to an end, popularly characterised by the brutal um, Charles Manson murders. Now, Charles Manson does appear in this film, yeah. uh, as do other people. Is It's a fictionalised account of late 60s Hollywood, with... Um, appearances and portrayals of portrayals of people who actually existed. Bruce yeah. Lee turns up on the set of uh, Green Hornet, where Cliff Booth is a man. Um, director Sam Wanamaker uh, turns up. Yeah. Uh, a whole lot of people. Sharon Tate is there. Charles Manton is there. Um, and 
it's it's a fictionalized history. It's it's a bit like Inglorious, yeah, where that was that started with the words "Once upon a time," yeah, which leads, of course, to Hitler being killed yeah. by special operations unit who are the Inglorious yeah. Bees. And we know that didn't happen. Yeah. But it's a fairy story. Yeah. Just as this is a fairy story. And I found it to be perhaps DiCaprio's greatest performance that I've seen. But the one thing I would say with this one is a fantastic movie. But you do kind of need to know some of the history of that era. Yeah, if you're wondering who Charles Manson is yeah. or who Sharon Tate is, a lot of the whole point of the film's final act yeah. will be lost on you. And some of the references they make to TV shows, you need to at least like know. Like and the yeah. FBI and stuff like you that. You kind of need to know something from that era. Yeah. Uh, Tarantino lovingly recreated the look and feel of those TV movies. Yes. And, of course, he has um, DiCaprio's character go to Italy to start yeah. filming Spaghetti Westerns, which is really Clint Eastwood's springboard to stardom. Yeah. Uh, he was in the TV series Rawhide, and during the hiatus in filming went over to Italy and filmed A Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. And that's how he started really making his name. You know, the character of Rowdy Yates wasn't really going to get him to be the the world's number one Hollywood star. And, of course, Westerns themselves yeah. were undergoing kind of a seismic shift at that point from being a popular entertainment. They were becoming more gritty and more realistic, you know, away from... Things like, uh, you know, um, well, any Western made by John Wayne in the 1950s and 60s, more towards what he would end up doing like Cowboys and um, The Shootist. Yes. So please carry on. That's the synopsis. Because you've shown me so many series from the 60s, like Lost in Space, Batman. The 66 series for yeah. Adam West. Yeah. I found that because I've seen shows like that and The Man from Uncle, it really benefited me in okay. actually enjoying the movie far more. Right. And I would actually go as far as to say it's Tarantino's best movie, possibly since Bill Bill. Okay, which leads me to ask you, yeah, best Tarantino movies. Best top three. Okay, top three and why? Reservoir Dogs. Right. Why? Because the entire movie is basically told in a warehouse. You have a heist. Yeah. And you don't actually see. The heist at all. You don't actually see the heist. No. You see their sometimes clumsy and failing attempts to get away. Yeah. You have then you have Pulp Fiction. Okay. Because Are these in reverse order or actual Actual order. First, second and third. First, second, third. Okay. So first is Reservoir Dogs, second is Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Okay. Pulp Fiction it ha- you can't even explain Pulp Fiction. No, no, you can't. It, it, it's, it doesn't have a plot no. as such. And I would actually say my third... Yeah. Yeah. It's actually Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Ooh. Do you want to park Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and go, like, classic Tarantino before this one? Okay, Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown, really? Yeah. The, the, the first three films, yeah. in the order that they were released, yeah. are your favourite yeah. movies? Yeah. Okay, what is it about Jackie Brown, then? That, in a way, how um, 
there's the whole thing with the airport, the kind of when she's smuggling things in. Yeah. And the interaction with Samuel Jackson's character, I just think it's right. fantastically done. And Interesting. How, and how with Samuel Jackson in it. Yeah. You know, so he's... Although he's playing, you know, like a drug-dealing, gun-smuggling person. Yeah. He's so likeable. He's likeable yeah. in all his roles, though, isn't he? But those are my three. What are your three? Okay. Um, head and shoulders above them all. Yeah. Pulp Fiction. Okay. I originally saw them in their order, so I watched Reservoir Dogs first. Loved it. Pulp Fiction just blew me away. Despite, to this day, yeah. if you ask me what it's about, I don't know. Is it about a boxer who doesn't take a fall and then goes on the run? Yeah. Well, yeah, partly. Is it about two hitmen? Well, yeah, a bit. Is it about two people who steal a briefcase which, when opened, emits a golden glow and what in the briefcase anyway? Uh, yeah, a bit. And I don't know. Is it about the gangster that the hitmen work for and that the boxer was supposed to take a dive for? Uh, maybe, but I don't think so. It's got all these different story elements that are pulled together with, I think, Tarantino's best ever performance in one of his own films. Yeah. Um, you know, when they want to store a corpse and, you know, this is not the business I'm in. Yeah. And it's got so many quotable lines, many of them by Samuel L. Jackson. I'd seen Jurassic Park and I'd seen another film with Samuel L. Jackson where he's with Gina Davis and I can't remember what it's called. I want to say The Long Goodbye, but it's not The Long Goodbye. That's a, a detective movie with with um, Humphrey Bogart. It's at around Christmas, and she, she suffers amnesia, um, but a car crash starts bringing her kiss, memory kiss back. Bang, bang. No, 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 no. Long Night? Yeah, The Long Night or something like yeah. that. The Long Goodbye. I don't know. Anyway, he was in that. But he never made that much of an impact. It was his role in Pulp Fiction that really brought him my attention. Yeah. Really did. Um, you know, his, his, his assassin, along with the genius pairing of, of John Travolta, it was just fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Second... I would say is Kill Bill, part one. Okay. I prefer part one to part two. Um, when part one opened, and it's got those like old adverts in, and, and you know, it just reminded me of the early 70s when the Kung Fu craze, the martial yeah. arts craze, hit the cinemas. And all of popular culture. Shortly after the death of Bruce Lee and the release of the Dragon. And all of a sudden you had all these films, the Chinese and Japanese films with martial arts, sometimes badly dubbed, yeah. um, were, were released. And we Western audiences were just lapping them up despite sometimes obviously being sped up for action and the the swooshing of air as you know people you know, was was just breathtaking 
and the the over exaggerated yeah. you know and so as soon as I saw the opening of of Kill Bill, it took me straight back to my youth of watching these movies in the cinema, and I, I kind of instantly got what he was trying to do. I instantly got it, and what he did, he did well. My third is going to surprise you. Okay, Death Proof. Yeah, that. I like that one. Because Death Proof, as you know, was meant to be part of a double bill called Grindhouse, yeah. along with Robert Rodriguez as Planet Terror. And we've got that on disc. Yeah. Um, released in this country was the fuller-length version of Death Proof. And again, it's got bits missing from reels, and the colour sometimes mismatched. And that's all a special yeah. effect. It's done purposely to remind audiences as kind of a homage to those Grindhouse films. Films like Vanishing Point, Dirty Mary, Crazy Larry, films like that, which I, I saw on their first run in the cinema. They weren't being shown on TV. All this right. was the 70s. Later on, they would be. But I, I was there watching them, and as soon as that started... And, you know, the slightly crackly um, soundtrack, which kind of showed that the film had been beaten around a bit and watched a few too many times, you know, some scenes were faded. It just took me straight back. And it, for what it was, it was very, it's a very, very satisfying homage to those road movies, uh, just like Kill Bill did with the martial arts movies. So, yeah, minor Pulp Fiction... Um, Kill Bill Part 1 and Roadkill. Ah. No, Death Proof, sorry. Yeah. Roadkill is a film we're going to be watching later on because it usually scares Steve before a long journey in the car. Okay. okay. Yes? Tarantino Star Trek. Oh. Okay, I'm, I'm probably going to surprise you. Oh. I think... Are you going to surprise me or are you going to shock me? Because shock. Okay. I think he could do it. And I will actually tell you why. Please do. Star Stephen Trek... will now tell us why. Yes. Teach for a moment. All right. Um, the new Starship movies that have been coming out with Chris Pine. Pine. Yes. I want to say that. No. That's Star yeah. Wars, not Star Trek. Star Trek has become very action-heavy. Okay. Star Trek never was action heavy. There was a fair bit of action in original Star Trek because it was the 60s, but even then they complained that it was too cerebral. There was, you know, for me personally, there's a lot more action in Lost in Space than Star Trek. Oh yeah, because it's... Lost in Space is wildly entertaining. It is not cerebral. You need someone for Star Trek that can write character dialogue and make it interesting. Star Trek was always more about high ideas, concepts, um, Look how- integration, diversity, not things that I would normally associate with Quentin Tarantino. Look how he handled the 60s. Okay. And that was a pretty accurate depiction of the 60s. Oh, what are they called? No. Klingons? No, they're they're in um, Deep Space Nine. Ferengi? Yeah. Imagine Tarantino writing the Ferengi. Imagine how much they would swear. Okay. You want another thing that Tarantino... They want the talking. It'd be a Star Trek movie with an R certificate, so 18 in the UK. So the only thing they could possibly do to get an 18 would be to show the battle that everyone's been waiting for. Battle of Wolf 359? Yeah. Much discussed, never seen. 
That's the only... It's the most pivotal ba- battle in all of has- Star Trek history. No one's ever seen it. No one's ever seen it. Nope. Um, for those of you who don't know, it happened between the Federation and the Borg. End of Star Trek Season 3, Next Generation, and the beginning of Season 4. Um, they, they keep mentioning it, but the budget wasn't meant yeah. to show it. But I think he could actually handle that really well because of how he can write dialogue. It's Star Trek is more a character piece. Yeah, he does, he does write characters. Okay. Who would you have write a Star Trek movie today? David Gerald. Oh, yeah. Still active as a screenwriter. Um, very well versed in Star Trek. That would work. Yeah. But there's... But the only problem I have with Star Trek at the moment... DC Fontana's still around. Is Star Trek has gone too action-packed. Yeah, true. And I think it needs to be reeled all the way back. Reined in a little bit. Yeah. Okay, it's 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 a new concept to me that you think that Quentin Tarantino, of all people, could rein something in. Well, he can give it a good go. <laughs> but I, I think he could do it. Hmm. I think what's concerning me more than anything else is that I don't want Star Trek to become a vanity project for Quentin Tarantino. No. And like Josh Trank and the Fantastic Four, for him to say, well, okay, I'm going to do this my way. This is my version of Star Trek. You know, Star Trek is too well-loved to be thrown away like that. Just like with Trank and the Fantastic Four a couple of years ago, he didn't really know anything about it. Yeah. He made what he wanted to make, which was kind of a sequel to his successful Chronicle movie. Here's what's interesting, disastrous. that there are two people who have said yeah. Tarantino is behind it, they'd be more than happy to be in. One okay. isn't surprising at all. Is it William Shatner? Yeah. That's the non-surprising one. Okay. The other one? Yeah. Patrick Stewart. Really? Yeah. Oh! Because it has been heavily rumoured as well. Yes. They would be set in the next generation timeline. Ah. As a kind of... You know, doing the, they would have to... It would have to follow um, Picard then, yeah. really, wouldn't it? In, in terms of when it was set. Okay. This, this is the only Star Trek movie at the moment that is actually still actually being discussed as a possibility. Okay. Everything else has been scrapped. Uh, good. Well, let's open this up to our listener. Yeah. If you have any aspirations, not aspirations, if you have aspirations to talk to us, you can do so at any time. If you have any ideas that you want to share, any opinions over any of what we've discussed tonight, i.e. what makes a horror film, your top Quentin Tarantino movies, should Tarantino make Star Trek, then please leave us a comment yeah. on Facebook. Look for either Stephen Pierce or me, Robin Pierce. Now then, before we sign off, yes. last night, thanks to Amazon, we got a copy of the 2019 Hellboy. Yes, we did. Quite early. And we rewatched it. Yeah. Now then, since we saw it at the cinema and loved it, yeah. we have understood that there will never be a sequel to that Hellboy because it tanked. Yes. Okay. My own take on this Hellboy is the the I I loved what Guillermo del Toro did in Hellboy and Hellboy Two. Yeah. Okay. With this movie, 
the new version, I thought that Hellboy actually looked a little bit more angular and more like Hellboy as Mike Minogla, yeah, his original creator and artist, drew him. And there was a little bit more of the comics and the characters in the comics in this film, like Lobster Johnson, for example. It was a little bit closer to its comic book origins than the Del Toro movies took it. In the Del Toro movies, we seemed to pick up an older Hellboy as played by Ron Perlman. And here, he's he's younger. Um, because he just gets the... Um, oh, what's his gun called? Oh, the, the large... Yeah. Six gun, yeah, yeah. Peacemaker? It's not the Peacemaker, is it? The Samaritan. The Samaritan. He only just receives that in this movie. Yes. Now... Myself, I don't really get why it failed. And I think that if a second movie was given, yeah, the green light, then they could expand. Because towards the end of the film, they have just found the character who will become Abe Sapien, yeah. the kind of Gilman yeah. side. And the sting at the very end of the film obviously means that a sequel was fully intended. And I think it's a shame that they're not going to make it, but... It still could happen. I I think it's an even greater shame that Hellboy 2 by Toro was left as open-ended as it was, and that a trilogy... To round it all off was was never made. I I think that I love Del Toro movies. Yeah, but I think that people really need to let go of the fact that there's never going to be a Del Toro Hellboy three because. So basically, you're telling me to grow up and move on no. with my life. Well, we all want to see it, but we're not. Going, going to, to see no, it. no. I still think that a Hellboy two to this movie is possible, dependent on how home media sales go. Well, yes, that's got to be added in to to the mix. I think that my personal feeling is my go to Hellboy movies yeah. are always going to be Del Toro yeah. movies, but this one isn't as bad as people have made out. I know what the problem was. It's with this closer one. to the comics. The problem with this one, yeah, was the trailer for it was awful. It was. It looked easy. Some of the CGI in this is yeah. a little bit cheap looking. I, you know, obviously there's. But a, I do like the the Scouse theme. Yeah, obviously there's a lot of CGI in Del Toro's Hellboy. Yeah. But there's also quite a few practical effects in there as well. Pace-wise, the new version is a lot faster. Whereas with Del Toro's versions, they are longer, they're slower paced, and there's more art to it. Yeah. It's like you could actually We we stop and admire the surroundings. You you can tell in a way that, say, Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth could actually be in the same universe. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. The, yeah. It's the same kind of creature design. Yes, yes, I agree with you. And with us actually agreeing on yeah. something for once, there's no better time to bring this hour to an end. So, until next week, when who knows what yeah. we'll be discussing, it's so long from me, Robin Pierce. And me, Stephen Pierce. So until next week, my friends, stay low, stay sharp, stay safe. <laughs>